You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Philip Roth is the author of 31 books. He won the Pulitzer Prize for American Pastoral, the National Book Award for Goodbye Columbus and Five Short Stories, and Sabbath's Theater, and the Penn Faulkner Award for Fiction for his novels Operation Shylock, A Confession, The Human Stain, and Every Man. His new novel is Nemesis. Thank you for speaking with me, Mr. Roth. Oh, you're welcome. You know, your new novel is set in what you call Equatorial Newark during World War II, and your protagonist, Bucky Cantor, who is a 4F, 24-year-old kid who finds himself at home fighting an enemy that's even more implacable than the Germans or the Japanese. Well, it's more at hand, and uh, it's more devastating it up close. The war was awful enough, but this is something that uh, was pretty awful. I lived through that period of the polio years, and it was a great menace. To kids, it maimed them and it crippled them. It killed them. At the time I was going through my polio years, uh, I never got polio. No one knew the cause. No one knew the treatment. There was no cure. There were no vaccines such as there were after 1955. So it was a considerable summer menace during the first half of the uh, 20th century. You know, one of the things that this book makes spectacularly clear is just how swift and awful polio was. I, I think it's, um, before reading your book, I really didn't have a feel for the extreme menace and how quickly it killed. It, it would kill kids overnight. They'd feel ill in the after. I know of one case particularly I'm talking about, a boy not very far away from my house that he got it in the late afternoon. He got sick in the late afternoon. Didn't get polio. He just felt ill, and he was dead the next morning because he got what was called bulbar polio, which affected the respiratory system. You know, one of the things that I think this book does really beautifully well is it explores something that is important about the English language, which is the subjunctive uh, verb tense. This is a book that's steeped in regret and and a book where the characters are constantly exploring the what-ifs, the could-have-beens that, that the English language is so good at uh, creating within our own minds. That's a good point. Um... Well, the, the book turns on two big decisions that Bucky makes as the action turns. Uh, one is his decision in the midst of the epidemic to leave his uh, post as playground director, where all the kids are getting sick and die, dying, and to get off to the country where his girlfriend is a counselor in a, a camp. And he regrets that from the moment he even does it. And then later, when he gets polio himself, his girlfriend comes to see him, uh, he doesn't want her to, but she does. And uh, he says, I, don't, I can't have anything more to do with you. Uh, he's in wretched shape. He's a paral- badly paralyzed. But he doesn't want to become a burden to her if they should marry. And so he winds up quite alone in the world. So there is a room for regret. There is room for thinking about what if. You know, one of the things this uh, novel does really well is... is effectively create recreate this time and as 
polio strikes, but it's a really sweet and beautiful time. You do a great job of evoking the neighborhood and the boys and, and writing that in this kind of muscular prose. And you have a great prose voice in this novel. So talk about creating this sweet time with your muscular prose. Yeah. Well, thank you for calling my prose muscular. The, the, I don't know that the time was sweet because you have to include the fact that there was the existence of this terrible disease. But if you take that away, yes, then there is a kind of simplicity uh, and innocence to the relationship that these young people have, the uh, romantic relationship they have, and the relationship between the kids on the playground and the, the playground director. Yes, those are all uh, benign, healthy connections. When I started this book, I started with one word, and the word obviously was polio. Uh, I made a list of subjects I had not yet thought about fictionally, but that I had lived through, and I had a long list of historical events and so on. And in the midst of these historical events, I wrote down polio. Uh, When I went back a few days later to look at the list, the word polio leaped out at me. I thought, yeah, that's the subject. But what are you going to do with it? Where's the story? Who are the people? And I decided I would then set it in this what you call the sweet time, uh, 1944, uh, because I wanted the war to be on at the same time this was happening. I wanted him, when I began to discover him, to be unable to fight in the war, uh, which produces in him a kind of shame and guilt uh, to begin with. One of the things that I think is really interesting about this novel are just the variety of reactions to to polio. Um, There's, you know, it's fear, there's blame, there's shame, there's what if, there's regret. Polio becomes this kind of blank mirror where everything unfortunate and unpleasant emerges from. Well, I think when people are are presented with a a menace whose cause they don't know, but whose consequences can be death and death to children, they do become frantic to find some kind of cause, something that's making this happen. Some people will think that it's God that makes this thing happen, and indeed, my hero, Bucky, comes to that conclusion, and with the result that that he hates God. He said, if God is making this, what kind of God is this? What kind of God is it that tortures, torments, and kills children? So that's, he, he's, he's one of the many who are looking for a cause. And, and you know, this, this, his uh, relationship with God, with, which you know, develops and changes through the book as it becomes more and more bitter, it's this kind of crack in his psyche. And as, as the, the novel progresses, he becomes more and more unmanned by this single crack. And I think this really all revolves around this kind of this what-if kind of language that we're constantly subjecting ourselves to. And I think that's maybe the core of our conscience. Core of our conscience is what if. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bucky does become unmanned, and he and it means a great deal to him not to be unmanned. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wants to be manly in the sense that his grandfather was manly and uh, and practiced, as it were, manliness. And he's uh, by this I mean he has a deeply developed sense of responsibility. He wants to take on what whatever burdens there may be if they are his responsibility. He wants to be strong. He wants to be an example to these kids on his playground. And he disappoints them. And he dis- he, I don't know if he disappoints them, but he disappoints himself. And then, of course, he's crippled. <clears throat> and this unmans him terribly. 
he's badly crippled by polio. You know, one of the things that that we we learn is that polio has you know these terrible effects. I mean, not only can it kill you, the if you survive it, it's it's really awful. But I think we we also see that polio has an effect on those who do not succumb to it or don't don't even. Uh, get it which is it's an it emotionally cripples all of those around us because around it because it's kind of this senseless invasion of of a good life yeah it's de- it's devastating and, and you're correct to say it devastates the people around the polio victim um one of his boys uh, dies of polio two several of his boys die of polio and he goes to visit their um families uh one family in particular uh, after the death of the kid and the family is just devastated. Uh, and I think that that's not untrue. I think that that's an accurate rendering of what follows the death of a child, what follows in the family. It's, it's the hardest thing in the world to take. You know, you, you uh, mentioned that you lived through this, and I think there's a, a great creation of the neighborhoods and the interrelationships between the neighborhoods. Could you talk about how you know, how much of this did you remember actively, and how much did you remember as the result of saying, I'm going to write about this? Uh, oh, I remembered it. I remembered it. It was, it was, um, polio really came into its own in the early 20th century, around 19, around the turn of the century. And then each decade it got worse in America. By the 19, I was born in 1933, <clears throat> by the 30s and 40s it was terrible. So it was impressed upon me very early not just by my parents or my mother, but my, by my older brother and by all the kids' families on the street. They were all in terror of this thing. So the irony was that here came summer, that great season, the season when we were free, a uh, season when we could run and play and do anything we wanted, but we couldn't do anything we wanted because we couldn't go swim in the big pool <clears throat> at a nearby amusement park because that, that was off limits. Uh, correctly so, by the way. Um, we uh, couldn't get to the drinking fountains on the on the playground when we got thirsty. Uh, we couldn't go to the movies because the movies there, there were too many people and contacts with young people, et cetera, et cetera. Wherever there was an assembly where there might be contacts with young people was off limits. Uh, so I didn't I didn't have to search back too far to remember this stuff. I mean, I haven't thought about it, mind you, in in, in 40 years, uh, 50 years even. Uh, but it was so um, embedded in my memory that it didn't take much to recall it. So, and I remembered the reactions to it and so on. I did read, read some books uh, when I started on the project. I do that always with any project, really. Uh, I read some books about polio, maybe half a dozen. There's a very good book called, I think it's called American Disease. It was won the National Book Award some years ago about polio. But the polio books are mostly about the struggle to find a cure. And they culminate with the discoveries by Dr. Salk and Dr. Sieben Salk in 55, Sabin rather, and Dr. Sabin in 60, and then the polio threat was over. But by then, my childhood was long over, too. You know, um, you do do a, a great job of creating the childhood, and there's so many wonderful details. I, I, you know, I never knew that there was actually a, a, a playground movement. I love the scene in the Poconos, the, the Indian, the Indian ceremony. Did you, you must have you must have been to one of those? Well, I was. I think it's funny. I um, I worked in a play in a, in a camp 
in the Poconos. It was called Pocono Highlands in um, East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, uh, two summers while I was in college. And I enjoyed them enormously. And I had, I remember I had this, the oldest boys in the camp, I think they were 15, were, were in, in, were, I took care of. And we played ball, we swam, we did everything. And they were wonderful. Now, neither of those camps, neither of those years, did polio strike in that, in that camp. Uh, I have a camp in which polio does strike. When you create this camp, you give us a feeling of the difference in the terrain. We, we, have, we go from a closed kind of jungle to an open kind of forest. And it doesn't matter where we are or how clean everything looks, whether you're under the blazing sun or in, your, in the fresh woods. Uh, polio is an inimical villain. It, it strikes without fear itself. Well, we, we all thought, youngsters and adults alike, back in that era, that if you went to the shore, uh, in our case, the Jersey Shore, or if you went to the mountains where the camps were, that you would not get polio. Uh, there was some link up with the, 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 the good air that you breathe there and uh, the fact that you, would be, you wouldn't get polio. Actually, that wasn't so, because polio liked sanitation, as it were, that is, the more sanitary the country became and people's houses became, uh, the worse polio got. So as I said, at the turn of the century, it was small, and the numbers grew and grew and grew. And this was part of the freakiness uh, of this disease. What happened is that young children didn't develop an, an immunity early by getting a light case of polio because everything was so clean around the, around the house that set in the street. When they got older and they got hit with polio, it was much harsher, and, uh, some, and many of them died. This is a, a novel where World War II is, a, is the backdrop, and, and creating World War II as a backdrop, it must be kind of a challenge because it, it's certainly important, but you, uh, your character at one point thinks, you know, the greatest menaces on Earth were war, the atomic bomb, and polio. Uh-huh. Well, the war uh, as a backdrop wasn't hard to summon up either because uh, I was eight when the war began in 1941. I think I was eight. And uh, I was 12 when the war ended in 45. Well, that's the most impressionable time for a, for a child. And for a boy, particularly in that era, uh, the identification with the soldiers was very strong. I had um, three or four cousins who were in the war and fought, fought in, in, in Europe and so on. So I could remember that very well, too. The war in my book exists by virtue of Bucky's being shut out of it, and he doesn't want that. We can't do anything about it. He has bad eyes. And his two friends, his two closest friends from college, who are fighting, one of whom gets killed uh, during the course of the book, which increases Bucky's, uh, uh, Bucky's guilt. He has, a, he has a highly reactive conscience and, and uh, a gigantic sense of responsibility, and sometimes it's a false sense of responsibility. So that, 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 that bugs him, too. His uh, girlfriend, uh, uh, Marsha, tells him that, that he holds himself accountable even when he, he shouldn't be. And she's right. And I think that's a really um, interesting way to develop the character because he, we see him at first. He's he's strong. He's resilient. He is just the ideal young American, even if he if he's not at war. 
but the effect of the, that the polio has on him is to just create a crack, a crevice in his, in his conscience to make that eventually opens up and swallows him whole. Absolutely. You're right to describe him as you did when this book begins. I wanted that. He is just uh, a terrific specimen of a young man. Uh, when he gets attacked in his body, in his marvelous body, uh, it's awful. You know, too, there's a great sense of America in this novel. This is a really American novel, and even though polio is 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 quite awful and World War II is quite awful, there's still a sense of the strength and the resilience and the beauty and simplicity of America. And I think that's due in large part to your prose storytelling voice, which is really unique, and I don't want to say much about it, but I think that... The way you tell the story, the voice in which you tell the story, is so quintessentially American that even though the story itself ha- is is ripping with with tragedy, um, the you get a sense of that how much you, the author, love America. Mm. Well, um, that also goes back to those origins and back to those times. I think the uh, love and allegiance to the country was developed in us, little boys and girls back in the early 40s, by the war. Um, we were very conscious of it. Uh, I was on the radio, when there was no television, it was in the newspapers, and then it was even in school, because uh, during those years we had drives uh, to collect silver foil, which is the stuff that lines the cigarette uh, pack, uh, to, to collect newspapers, to, to collect tin cans. And these collections would go on, and the deposit point would always be the school. When we went to uh, the assembly program once a week, we sang uh, the songs of all the armed forces, the, uh, the Army as the caissons go rolling along, and the Marine Corps and the Navy. Uh, and uh, we were, we were um, uh, steeped in, in patriotism. This novel, too, one of the things that I think that's, that's so interesting about it is just that it is a great example of, of disease fiction. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of writing about diseases. And I think that um, we are becoming more and more interested in the facts of disease and more aware of how big a part it plays in human history. There are two classic, there are two classic... Uh, the plague, of course. ...on... on uh disease. One would be Daniel Defoe's Journal of the Plague Year, mm-hmm. 17th century. And another that, that most people are familiar with is uh, Camus' The Plague, uh, about uh, an Algerian town which is swept by uh, the plague. So uh, there are many, I guess there are many other disease books, too. I mean, uh, a great book by Solzhenitsyn called The Cancer Ward. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've read all of these, they're, they're, they're wonderful books, everyone I mentioned. Um, you know, one of the things, too, that, that about this, this book is when we read about polio is we realize that it's so much more severe. We're, you know, currently in the middle of the AIDS epidemic, and there's still no cure for cancer, and they strike people right at right. home. And it's very powerful. If you've had cancer in your family, it's, it's a real life changer. Right. Uh, and I think that this book takes those fears and ramps them up. I mean, in the, it turns the, the speed up to 11. Mm. Well, you know, I think partly that it comes because I have the epidemic in the city of Newark, 
but primarily and largely in the, in the Weequake district, where, which is what I write about. So they really feel claustrophobic. They're, they're, they're penned in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it was, it, it's not a nationwide epidemic. It seems to be uh, the arrow, uh, the dagger is pointing absolutely at this, this, uh, this place, this small place, um, which makes you crazy. Well, too, you talk about this, and, and that they talk, the characters talk about them putting up barricades between the the different neighborhoods, and mm-hmm. of course, it's not I. It's ironic that at one point, one of the his mother, I believe, grandmother, tells him that you know people are saying the Jews should be isolated while we're fighting the Nazis over in Germany. Well, Jews, it's a Jew, it's a Jewish neighborhood. We should point out, mm-hmm. so that's why she she tells him that. Well, yeah, that figures in it, too, because in looking for the cause and uh, et cetera, one's biases and prejudices come out, too. This novel is titled Nemesis, and Nemesis is this implacable enemy. And this has also become the the title of your series of short novels. Could you talk about creating these short novels? It's a, it, there are... Very uh, interesting form in terms of the the plotting, for example. The plotting for this book is really, it's very tight and very intense. Yeah, well, about uh, eight years ago or seven years ago, um, I had been writing some long novels throughout the 90s and and 2000. I had a book called The Plot Against America. They were all sizable. Um, And I, I began to think, could I do what my friend Saul Bellow had done near the end of his career. Could I write some short novels? Uh, I, I began with one uh, back in 1959, Goodbye Columbus. But I wondered if I could do it. In fact, I thought I was very puzzled, and I said, "How how do you do it?" And I asked I asked Bellow. He just laughed. Um, so I began to write these books. Now I didn't know that there were going to be these four books when I began. One led to the next, uh, and I didn't see them as having a, a shared. Uh, theme, as it were, which is of, of cataclysm, personal and communal cataclysm. But uh, one led to the next, as I said, and so I, I, I had to learn how to, how to, how to write uh, in a condensed style, because this, the novel invites amplification. To write the novel, you amplify and amplify and am, amplify. But the short novel, uh, needs, you need condense, you need to condense. Condense, condense, condense. I thought, could I do that? I was used to be much more expansive in books, uh, and also, could I do that and and pack a punch at the same time? Because yes, it's possible to reduce everything, but you may lose everything too. So I don't know how it happened. I worked it out, um, and then, as I said, one led to the next. And uh, when I finished, when I was uh, writing the first draft of Nemesis, I realized that all these books had a catacly- had a great cataclysm in them, and um, the total destruction of somebody uh, in these two pages. And so I call them all nemeses, as a plural of nemesis, and um, there it is. You know, one of the things, as a reading experience uh, for me, this novel was, was really an experience in increasing dread to the, to the point where we, when we finally meet Bucky afterwards, it, it's the... the dread in the reader as as we see we know what's going to happen we know how he's going to react at this point or, uh-huh. or, talk about creating that feeling of dread and terror i mean in a sense this is almost a horror novel 
Well, um, I just followed the logic um, of the subject, uh, realistically speaking. I followed the logic of the character's experience, and those two things led me to, um, to, to, to Bucky's end. I didn't know, I really didn't know Bucky's end when I was writing, beginning to write the book. Uh, but as I said, if you, what happens in any book, really, is you follow the logic of the experience, uh, of the character's experience, uh, and you will, you, you will figure out how, how it concludes. And uh, so he's an ex- here, this beautiful boy at the beginning of the book, mm-hmm. robust, uh, manly. healthy, manly, strong, becomes a, an extremely embittered, still young man, and eventually, not so young in the end, he's extremely embittered, badly crippled polio victim. And so, though, not, not only has he faced the nemesis of polio, but he's faced the nemesis of his conscience. Uh, which you've mentioned several times, and the, the, so there there are several nemeses, uh, to my mind, in this book. Uh, up front, of course, is polio, but then also there's his conscious conscience will, which which uh, nearly destroys, which destroys him actually, or the conscience which leads him to tell Marcia, no, leave me. I don't need I don't need to be mothered or or wifed by you. Leaves him alone and bitter. I'm wondering, do these books start out longer, or do they start out shorter and get built up? Uh, no, they don't. They don't start out longer. That would be that would lead me to behave, to behave in a very different way in the writing. Mm, I uh, imagine so. Yeah, I I think these books have begun with a, with my having a sense of their size, not necessarily a number of pages, but a sense of their scale, mm-hmm. uh, and the scale. Uh, is different from the uh, the big the big amplified novels. Well, you know, you mentioned one of the things that I love about this book too is you mentioned a personal cataclysm, and because we're so richly imbued in the language and immersed in the language of this this cataclysm, this uh, Bucky, Bucky's apocalypse is is every bit as bad as the ending of the world for us in terms of the emotional <laughs> impact as a reader. Uh-huh. Uh, the ending of the war, did you say? Yeah, of the world. <laughs> oh, the end of the world. Oh, yeah. Well, it's the end of that little small world that you've been brought into by virtue of the, the book. Um, it is very, it's sad. It's very sad. Um, when I was writing the book, uh, as I said, I read a few books to begin with, but then I just went on, on, on instinct and imagination. But then I, I, I go to a swimming pool in, in, in New York when I'm there, and um, I, when I was changing, I saw a guy taking off his trousers, and on his leg he had a brace. Um, and I would never would have done this in former times, but I said, did you have polio? Uh, and he said yes. And uh, so we talked. And it was valuable. For, he wasn't bitter at all, by the way. But uh, it was valuable for me to, to sort of see it again, because I, I was writing this book without seeing the stuff in front of me. Mm. Do you think you'll return to this short form again? I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, uh, I've taken a little vacation from writing, which I never did before in my life, and I don't know what I'll do, really. Uh, uh, we'll see. You know, it strikes me that there's a, a something that about you, your writing, that this somewhere between uh, regret and guilt 
and uh, the your alternate history that that you are very interested in how the human mind copes with what it imagines could have happened and what and the difference between that and what actually did happen. Well, there, there's the imagination of disaster, and then there's disaster, and then there's uh, the absence of disaster. Uh, and people have these things in their minds all the time, and especially when threatened, uh, like this. I've been speaking with Philip Roth. His new novel is Nemesis. Thank you for speaking with me, Philip. Oh, you're quite welcome. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.